Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, Step-by-Step Guide for Ending the Nightmare of Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, and lots of other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Good evening, Mari. Well, good evening, Lloyd. And I'm so sorry you have to work again with your voice just dying on you. But thank you so much. But you're going to like it tonight because this is one of our favorite people. We have to have her back every year. She updates on legislation. And she is not only a fabulous certified information privacy professional, a wonderful person. Everybody loves her. And we are just thrilled to have Joan McNabb on our show again. So let me tell our audience, you, if you listen to our show or you get our podcast, you probably have heard it before, but let me just tell you a little bit about her to refresh your memory. Joan McNabb is the chief of the Office of Privacy Protection for the California Department of Consumer Affairs. That's going to change. We're going to learn about that in just a few minutes, but she's still going to be in the Office of Privacy Protection, and she's still going to chief that, but we're going to find out more. The Office of Privacy Protection was created by legislation back in 2001, and it is the it was the first Office of Privacy Protection in any state. Now I, I know there's Wisconsin. We'll find out if there's any others. And it is a resource and an advocate on identity theft and other privacy issues for residents of California. In addition to providing information and education for consumers, they also publish privacy practice recommendations for businesses and government and other organizations. And Joan, by the way, is a certified information privacy professional for government. Not only did she have to take the first test, which I took, but she had to take another one too to be certified for the government. Joan is also the co-chair of the International Association of Privacy Professionals Government Working Group, and she's a member of the Privacy Advisory Committee to the United States Department of Homeland Security. This is a very important committee. Thank goodness she has a voice there. Before starting up the Office of Privacy Protection, Joan had over 20 years' experience in public affairs and marketing in both the public and private sectors, including five years with an international marketing company in France, and she has wonderful stories about living in France. Her marketing background gives her a really good understanding of commercial uses of personal information, and that's become very significant in privacy concerns, especially with all of the security breaches and the the data problems that we have. 
To learn more about the Office of Privacy Protection and Joan's great leadership, you need to visit privacy.ca.gov. So, Joan, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you very much, Mari. That's a bit overwhelming. Oh, stop it, isn't it? You deserve more. You're wonderful. Joan, so tell us, this is this is very new. We have a change, a new legislation about what's going to happen with the Office of Privacy Protection. Explain to us what the governor signed. Well, in a sense, we're being promoted. Yes. The, the Office of Privacy Protection has been, from its beginning in 2001, part of the Department of Consumer Affairs, and which is, you know, makes sense. Our mission is consumer privacy. We are being promoted up to the next level to the, the cabinet office it's called the state and consumer services agency uh where the department of consumer affairs reports so we're moving up a notch so that's one thing um privacy is taken very seriously uh in, in the government and and they're moving us up because of that in our also, state not in all states. in our state yes 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 <laughs> not not everywhere right and, and then also uh we are being uh, merged with or combined with the State Information Security Office. Their responsibility is providing guidance and policies to state agencies, state departments in, in California government, on how they should be protecting and securing the information that, that, that agencies maintain. So they are a, an inward governmentally focused, and we are an outward consumer focused entity. So, so will you re- be reporting to the uh, information officer? Is that what they're called? Or? No, no. So, so that we're going to come together, and then there will be a new position that will be the executive office officer of both of these two operations. So we will retain our consumer privacy focus. The, in, the state information security office will retain its state government information security focus, and one of the differences that, that this brings about, other than just a sort of relocation, is it builds in a consumer privacy perspective into the state information management system, which I think is a very good thing. Right. It is a very good thing because then they, they have you're going to be there to say, did you think of this? You know? Organizations in general tend to get focused on the needs of the organization right. and and our we are always hearing from consumers from individuals out there in the world and sometimes they're talking about troubles they're having with credit bureaus or troubles they're having with banks and sometimes they're talking about troubles they're having with state departments and so we will go and talk depending on the kind of issues that are raised we'll, we will make phone calls and send emails to banks and to credit bureaus and to state agencies and say you know this person made this complaint and we wonder about this practice and we've been working with the state information security office for a number of years bringing things to their attention and so this sort of institutionalizes it and it might make it easier if you are you going to be in the same building Mm-hmm. Oh, so so that'll make it easier too, because then you don't have to call. I mean, you can walk down the hall and. No, we're going to be working right together, and one of the. It, so it's not just a relocation; it's also is we're creating with the State Information Security Office. We're creating a a holistic way to address in, responsible information management is one way to look at it the way that the state handles the personal information and other kinds of confidential information that people entrust it with. And 
so we're trying to build a holistic approach, and we're feeding in the consumer's perspective and the privacy perspective while we're still looking outward to consumers, too, but we're also bringing stuff in. So we think And you're that helping to educate the inside as well as the, the outside. The inside as well as the outside. Yeah, we, that collaborative effort. It sounds great. And we, we've always been... We've always devoted our resources, I'd say, about 50-50 to educating consumers and assisting them and educating organizations, businesses, government agencies on the information management side of it because it, it is a, at least a two-part deal. It's, well, it's I think not it's entirely been very- up to – yeah. And I was going to say, you know, with the recommended practices, which people can find, mm-hmm. you know, the businesses can find on your website, that helps them to understand how our laws can be implemented in a way that is effective and also compliant with the law and also consumer oriented. So I think those have been really terrific, the recommended practices, which you've been doing for businesses since uh, since you started. And, and I know you've, you've, you've been part of advisory groups on a couple of them that we've done. When, when we come up with recommended practices, we do get a group together of the various parties who are involved. So businesses, if, if, if we're looking at issues that government agencies are concerned with too, we'll have them involved and always consumer reps and privacy advocates. And so we're trying to be very always true to our mission of advocating on behalf of consumers' privacy interests, but also becoming knowledgeable about what are the, the implementation realities for the organizations that have to make things happen. Yeah, and you know, I think that's an important point because then you can educate the mm-hmm. businesses because that's, those consumers are, are the people who are their customers. Indeed. And so that's really important. So what's going to happen? Are you going to have, I noticed in the bill itself, it talks about a mediation, you know, you'd be doing some mediation to try and stop people from having to have the conflict escalate when there is a challenge between businesses like the credit bureaus and mm-hmm. consumers or maybe a governmental agency and consumers. So are, you know, is that component going to be expanded? I know you've been doing a lot of that with, you know, wearing yeah, my, myriad hats. <laughs> Actually, our, our statutory mandate won't change. It takes this, the statute that currently exists and Business and Professions Code, Section 350 to 352, and moves it into the government code, but it's the same language. So we have the same responsibilities, the same authorities. So we are empowered currently. It says that we may, you know, encourage mediation. So we haven't set up any sort of mediation program. We do, in effect, I wouldn't even say I know mediate. you do it. Yeah, well, you do. Yeah, you, you, you. What we do is we advocate on behalf of consumers. It's, it's, it's. It's not, um, we have a, a bias. <laughs> right, but but you're almost like an ombudsman yes. type office. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. so what's going to happen? Are you going to get more money? <laughs> no, 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 no. Not more money? No, no, money. no. Be, be, be comfortable, taxpayers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I would think. I would no, we're not going to get more money. Oh, that's not good. Okay. Well, so you got to share your money. Are you going to get less money because you have to share it now with the security uh, Ultimately, it'll be just a, a financial wash. There there will be some some benefits of being able to, be able, being able to collaborate easily. Right, using their resources and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. 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 So, that makes that, sense. you know, that there's some efficiency that come out of, of, of working together because we we do a lot of things in common and that that'll be good I, I, what I'm most interested what I think is the most exciting about this is building in this consumer perspective and then the intention to move toward this 
holistic approach and not not be trying to focus just on technology, you know, because a lot of historically information security has been securing your networks. Right. And as we know, privacy concerns can arise from things people say or do on the phone by not properly um, authenticating who that person is and information can be given out or paper that isn't handled properly. And so there's a lot more than just the technology side. So that's yeah, part you, of the bigger approach that we're You could have towards. all the greatest security, and if you don't have your people trained, the social engineers can get uh-huh. all the information they need to get in and get what they want and get what they yep. need. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. You have to have that, that collaborative and holistic approach. Sounds great. So and that's can, really what this is about. That's, yeah. that's, that's, what, that's the intention of this. Now, Joan, has there is there any other state that has done this type of thing at all that you know of? Uh, no, uh, no, not definitely not. That you know, there is the Wisconsin Office of Privacy Protection, which is similar to our office. I know you that, guys helped them get it yes, started. Yep, we had our little week of training together, and we right. kept in touch with them, and we we um, you know email and talk to them periodically, and they they are focused completely on cons- the consumer side and, you know, not on the government side. Then there are some states that are moving in this direction in a sense in the holistic approach to managing state information. Arizona, for example, just recently um, is creating a, a, a privacy office and information security office that will be working together, but, but they don't have the outward fo- focus. So they are purely governmental, but that's a good thing to have them working together. Right. And maybe they can learn from there that consumers need some help because, gosh, mm-hmm. Arizona is one of the top states for identity. Theft. Yeah, I know. I've never understood <laughs> why, but yes, that they are. Yeah. I think a lot of it is um, because people come across the border, too. I mean, at least the, a lot of so the victims that I hear from in Arizona, mm-hmm. um, a lot of them have problems with people coming in using their social security number to work and to get credit. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's one of the reasons. It's very strange. Plus, you know, even their, their court records, everything was online with their social security number forever. Wow. And uh, Maricopa, you know, their their county, it was it was a huge embarrassment. So I think that's part of it, too, is just having the Social Security number readily available. And I think the Social Security number was even the uh, driver's license number for a long period of time until recently. So that's yeah. probably another reason. That would yeah. certainly contribute. Yeah, that would. So I'm excited for you. That is really wonderful. I think, like you said, it's you're moving up, and I think that also brings it from from the Department of Consumer Affairs to put it in the you know um, the within level agency. yeah the capital level agency really shows that there is some prioritizing for that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good, and this is scheduled to happen in January. Well, congratulations, moving yeah, and everything. Thanks. That's big excitement. Okay, so, so well, let's, I'm sorry, go Moving ahead. isn't necessarily exciting. <laughs> no, yes. no, that's not exciting. But, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, well, you might have an interesting office. You'll be close to the, to the legislators, which brings us back to you've been busy with legislation and what's been going on. So let's talk about this because a bunch of bills have passed, um, more privacy bills. So about how many new privacy bills were there in, in, in the California uh, legislature this last session? Oh, gosh, you know, I, I haven't counted, but they're all listed. All of the fairly significant ones that we've been following are list, posted on our website on the privacy legislation page. So people can look them all up there. 
Um, it was a, a pretty busy year for for privacy bills, um, but and there's there's some themes that I can see in them, some issues that have risen and gotten a number of bills to address them. So right. I, I thought I might sort of look at them that way with you. Okay, let's. I have a bunch. I printed off. By the way, the the website for privacy.ca.gov is wonderful. Not only do we have pending legislation, but we also have privacy laws both at the federal and state level. We have all sorts of things about social security numbers, financial privacy, health. It's a fabulous website. You've done a great job, Joan. Well, it, it's really, uh, you know, the thing that that we're extremely proud of. It's really the main way that we can reach a whole lot of people. And it's it's hard to find a lot of this information, like the laws. It's not like we, we get calls from people regularly who say, I want to know where the privacy law is. Well, you know, there isn't one privacy (laughs) law. There's a whole bunch of little pieces all over the place, and pulling those all together has been quite challenging, and I'm happy that we're able to make it available. We use it as a resource for ourselves, too. Me, too. I do, too. I go there all the time. I mean, when I go to the privacy, you know, the California legislature, and I type in the word privacy. Oh, yeah, that's not going to get you very far. No, it doesn't, because it pulls up stuff that has really nothing to do with the kind of privacy. Yeah, that search engine on that site doesn't work very well. It's very frustrating. You can do it by bill number, but to look up by topic, it's just not real good. Yeah. I mean, it brought, I brought up some of the ones that were in your website, but not all of them, and then it brought up crazy ones. So yeah. So let's talk about the themes yeah. and, and what you think is happening and where are we going. And I must tell you that every time I talk to somebody from outside of California on our radio show, they always say how wonderful California is for privacy. That, yeah, we, we, we have been, uh, our state has been a real leader for the past several years in in legislation that respects consumers' right to privacy. And, and other states look to us, and many of them have, have copied us, and Congress has, has copied us and are continuing to do so. So we're out in front on this one. And a lot of people don't realize that uh, California actually has privacy in its constitution, mm-hmm. unlike the federal constitution doesn't even have the word privacy that we have a right to privacy right is there any i don't know of any other state. there are a number of states that are do. there yeah and you, uh, i can't remember right now how many but you can find it on the national congress of state legislatures website okay they, they have a place where they show all the states that have privacy in their constitution that's interesting and, but nobody mm-hmm. has has an office of privacy protection like we do except nope. for wisconsin except wisconsin <laughs> our sisters now, does Wisconsin have um, uh, privacy in the Constitution? I don't remember. I don't. I have to look that up. It's interesting because, yeah. you know, they were the Berkeley of the Midwest because I went to University of – I was a Badger as an undergrad. Yeah. Well, and they're the, they're the home of a lot of, of uh, reform legislation, the, the initiative and the referendum and all that stuff came yeah. out of Wisconsin way back. Yep, yep. For the Midwest, they, uh, they mm-hmm. have been kind of uh, – really almost where we are, but not quite, (laughs) nowhere near. So let's talk about some of this new legislation. Well, you know, one of the, a major piece of of legislation, the law now that that California has uh, been passed a number of years ago that's been really influential was the breach notice law. And, and, you know, I, I think just, I'm starting there because we have a number of little attempts to tweak it in various ways this past year, but I think that law is one of the most effective privacy protections that we've ever enacted. And it's sort of interesting when you look at how it works. It, re- it doesn't say 
to organizations, because it applies to business and state government, doesn't say you have to protect information in this way. It says whenever the most sensitive kind of information, the kind of identity that identity thieves are after, social security number, driver's license, financial account numbers, when that is acquired by an unauthorized person, then you have to tell the people whose information it is. That's all. Unless... You just have to tell them, unless it was encrypted. Right, right. So you just have to tell them. And the... What that means is there's a penalty if you don't do it right. And avoiding that penalty, attempting to reduce the need to, to notify, has led to a lot of improvements in the practices of organizations. It's led to, um, not enough yet, but the practice of encrypting personal information when it's being carried around on laptops, which seem to keep going astray all the time. That was something that just wasn't even thought of before this law revealed by the notices that, by golly, people are carrying this information around. Workers are mobile. And even USB drives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a guy on who talked at length about how the uh, USB drives, they they have this special thing that encrypts those automatically, Mm -hmm. too. So I've got I've got one that encrypts, has a little encrypted partition in it. Yep. So so that law has led to organizations making such, doing such things as requiring encryption when data is being carried around, um, questioning whether they really need to have certain kinds of data uh, or how long they need to keep it. Uh, so it's been really effective. And this past year, there have been a number of bills introduced that are attempting to do, add on to, to that law. One of them, for example, um, would add medical and insurance information to the type of information that would require notifying people. And that makes sense. That was AB 1298. Um, another one w- would require when a notice, the current law says that you have to notify people directly unless there's a, too many people or it costs too much their threshold or you don't have contact information. Right. That's In that case, you can make a substitute notification, and that is you have to use mass media and put it on your website, so you have to do it kind of a general public notification. And one of the the pending bills right now, or it's actually enrolled, available for the governor to sign, um, would require organizations that are doing that substitute public form of notice to, to give a copy to the Office of Privacy Protection. Well, that if makes that, sense, too. <laughs> and if that becomes law, what we would then do is post the notice on our website. So it would be a place people could go to see if there are any notices of the substitute kind. It would help to make it more available to people. Right, right. Um, now, let me ask you, on the one um, on the medical information, did mm-hmm. that pass both houses? Yes, AB 1298 and AB 779 are both uh, passed both houses and... By October 14th, it, it will be signed or vetoed or allowed to become law without signatures. So so what are the thoughts, just, you know, as we go through each of these, what does anybody have an idea how the, how the governor feels about any of these? I don't. He's certainly been very supportive of the, of the Office of Privacy Protection, having rescued our budget uh, a couple of years ago when it gotten down to just four people here, and now this this new broader approach to protecting privacy and state that's government. That's true. That's true. Yeah. He, yeah, he's looking at it as an important issue, and he has appeared at the identity theft summits that you've put on. We, uh, of the several big summits yes. on identity theft. Yes, yes. Been very supportive of those. 
And uh, at, at one of them, when he was doing the, the welcome, he said, well, he didn't think he would be uh, likely to be a victim because nobody could spell Schwarzenegger. I know. I was sitting right in the front yeah. row. <laughs> that was very good. That was very good. So there are these bills that would that would um, expand the, the, the reach notice law. There's also a, a, another issue that, that we've probably been hearing a lot about lately that's related to breaches, and that has to do with how retailers and merchants who accept payment by credit card, how they protect the credit card information. You know, there's been that big PJX breach that we keep hearing about over and over. So there is a bill that would require um, any merchant or anybody who accepts payment by credit card to, it would limit how long the, 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 the PIN numbers and the other kind of sensitive uh, authentication data that is acquired during swiping the credit card, how long they can keep it and how they have to protect it. So it's, it's an information security bill, and it would actually make law what is currently a contractual obligation of the credit card uh, companies. Yeah, that's so that like one, the PCI compliance yes, payment exactly. card industry. And one, I think one big issue for the retailers is that if they do have a breach and they're not compliant or someone grabs their information that's not encrypted, then they have to reimburse the bank, right? They Isn't have to that reimburse the bank. They, yeah. they would, if this becomes law, they would have to reimburse the bank for the cost of opening a new account. Right. Because generally what... what our office advises people to do when, when your credit card account or your bank account or your debit card account is compromised in any way, the safest thing to do to protect yourself is to close that account. Exactly. That's what I told people to do who called me mm-hmm. when they were, you know, victims of the TJ Maxx uh, fiascos is that, hey, cancel that card right away, you know, mm-hmm. don't even bother. Mm-hmm. So they would have to reimburse for, for the issuing of a new card, which could be you know, $100 or more, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that something like that? So it could be very expensive for retailers, especially like a mom-and-pop retail store. That, and, that and, and there's a real need for for education of particularly small and medium-sized retailers on, on how to protect privacy, how to secure the information that they have. You know, it's, it's hard for small organizations to keep up, but they are collecting the sensitive data, and they, they have to really learn how to take care of it. One of the things we have on our website on our recommended practices page is something we call the California Business Privacy Handbook that we developed for small and medium-sized businesses that is a sort of basic um, do and don't format of best practices and then it footnotes when there are laws in that area. Right. We're speaking with Joan McNabb, who is the chief of the Office of Privacy Protection which right now, until January, is in the Department of Consumer Affairs, but will be, how, how would you say it? it's in the actual, what's it going to be well, in now? It will be become part of the new um, Office of Information Security and Privacy Protection. Oh, very. That that's sounds, a mouthful. It does. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds pretty, uh, you know, effective and, and, and yeah. real professional, <laughs> so it sounds good. But, the, but her... Um, her charge will be the same, and all the good work that they're doing will be the same. Thank goodness. And we're going to, I can't wait till next year when we get you on here again to say, okay, now what, what was different? And, and we'll have the same URL. Yes. Oh, you will. Privacy, privacy.ca.gov. Oh, good. So you don't have to, that's, that's important. Right. That's important. You know, when you're talking about these retailers, you know, I've been really involved in um, a lot of these suits against retailers who um, inadvertently printed the expiration date on their customer receipts. They redacted all but the last four numbers 
of the credit card number, but they uh-huh. failed to do the expiration date, which, you know, was California law back, I think we passed it in 1999 uh-huh. and became effective in 2000 or 2001. And then FACTA, the Fair and Accurate Credit Transactions Act, uh, became law. And there are, I think, about 300 huge class actions across the country on these. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed from being involved in trying to help these poor retailers is that how do they know about the law? I think, you know, the merchant accounts aren't telling them about all the law. There's so many new privacy laws that really are technical things that their merchant accounts should be telling them and their software providers should be telling them. I think we need a law that if you're a software provider and you're helping retailers that somehow you need to make sure that you're compliant because they don't know. You know, these little tiny... It's, um, it's, it's really challenging. I, I, I agree. I understand. And, uh, you know, I mean, just there's so many laws. I mean, even when I go to se- to sessions and I'm teaching about uh, identity theft to law enforcement or even judges and attorneys, I, I send them to your website. You know, because uh-huh. most of them don't know, or I'll say something like, you know, uh, I'll do a little true-false to see if they know something from your website on the, uh-huh. on the law, and I have to tell you, they don't. Yep. Most people don't know. There's so many laws, and they don't know how to be compliant. So perhaps something in your office could be to at least, you know, have something like, you know, if you're a retailer, be aware of these laws. You know, well, if that, you're... That, that's actually what the, the California Business Privacy Handbook is designed to do. It's just, you know, we don't have the resources to be advertising its avail- availability on television or anything. Yeah, but do you have there about the receipts and stuff, too? Because I don't remember seeing that. Yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to look at that and share that with some of these retailers. And, and then if this new um, uh, security breach legislation passes, or in other words, it passed, yes. but if the governor signs it, and you're going to add that there, too, as well. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. We, we update everything. Okay. You know, a, a, another... It, I think really important area that there's a lot of legislation or a number of bills addressing uh, has to do with social security numbers and particularly social security numbers in public records. You know, that's that's become a, a real concern. Um, and we always uh, look over our, our log of all the calls and questions and emails that we get every year and sort of sum everything up. And just this last year, for the first time, we had a fairly large percentage of calls about i think it's about eight percent of calls were about people concerned about finding their information on websites right now generally it was name and address sort of directory information and they were still concerned about it feeling that there's a qualitative difference in having it published in a book and that's available you know in some specific locale compared to having it on the internet available to anybody anywhere anytime especially if you have a private phone number and then, yeah, yeah. you know if you if you if you pay for a private phone number and then somebody can get it just by going in one of these lookup things yeah. and get your phone number that yeah. is outrageous so what do you it, tell people it, well, it, well we 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 explain to them the interesting uh, public policy issue of the the, the uh, sometime conflict between um, open government, First Amendment, and uh, individual privacy. So th- we certainly have, because most of this information is coming from public records, and we have laws in California and in nationally, we have laws about the right of citizens to monitor government by having access to government records. California has very open record records 
statutes. Right. At the same time, we have privacy rights in our Constitution, and there's obviously a societal value in protecting individual privacy. So we deal with this sort of conflict in the state records way by having a law that applies to state agencies called the Information Practices Act that's the privacy law. So it says that state agencies are required to protect personal information and can only disclose it in certain allowed ways. So when a state agency makes a public re- a, gov- a state government record available in response to a public record request, the personal information is removed. Right. But that privacy law doesn't apply to local government. Exactly. So in California, local government is subject to the Public Records Act, but not to the Privacy Act. So a lot of the really sensitive information, like Social Security numbers, when that, when that gets into the, the stream that ends up online, it's, it's coming from local government a good deal of the time. So there have been there, one of the bills that is enrolled and available for signing would require local agencies to uh, shorten, to redact or cut down to to uh, no more than than four digits. The last Social four digits, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The last yeah. four digits on on many records, and it gives them time to get ready for it. And it's not it's not um, a simple thing for them to do, since a lot of local government records are uh, on. They're like images. They're on microfiche. They aren't right. from databases where they can go in and, you know, blot out one data field. They're, it re- involves quite a manual, complicated process in many right. cases. Right, probably going back and actually blacking out. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's not simple. So this, this bill that's pending, AB 1168, would specifically address certain appearances of SSNs, of Social Security numbers, in local government public records requiring them to be redacted in some cases or to be truncated down to the last the last four digits and it gives them a couple of years to get there and you know that that's going to be interesting to see how that one goes it's it's a good step one of the bills in this area actually has been signed and become law and this was SB 644 and it requires the cutting down to just the last four digits of social security numbers and abstracts of judgments related to money or tax liens so that's a good thing. So now these public judgments won't show the whole Social Security number when they're available. Right. Now, which is the one that, that would make, uh, is that this the one that, that um, uh, judgments like, I noticed on the IRS, t- on the uh, Franchise mm-hmm. Tax Board website, yep. they have the Social Security number that's of people one. who owe money. So that is going, they're going to have to redact that. Uh-huh. Okay, now that becomes effective when, January 2000 I, or now? I, I'm not positive. Certainly no, no sooner than that. I'm not positive what the effective date is, but it's SB 644 if anybody wants to look it up. Right. Huh. It's, list, it's listed on our website. Actually, uh, I th- yeah, it says April yeah April 2000, April 1, 2008. I'm looking at your website. Okay, so that's Oh, well, I, what do you know? I well, have that, the answer. You are so smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's really important because I looked at the uh, Franchise Tax Board website and I saw that these people who owed money, they had their Social Security number right there. Mm-hmm. That is so crazy. I think it's a way of kind of like saying, hey, you pay us money or we're not going to show you well, Social Security. Well, you know, it's, 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 certainly that isn't the intention there. Um, no. It's. It's, but that's what it looks like. It, it certainly can end up having that effect. So that's that's one area. Another really interesting one, not moving away from Social Security numbers for a while, has to do with medical information privacy. Right. And 
uh, you know, there's a lot going on in that area right now. Um, there's a big push on a lot of levels for moving all, making all medical records electronic and setting up networks so that medical information can be uh, moved, ideally the right information on the right person at the right time to the right place, or not. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there are real obvious potential benefits there for, in, in care, uh, and, and there are concerns about privacy and security and, and, and the, you know, that are worth looking at. And one of the issues that comes up when you talk about creating, uh, about doing that and empowering patients with better access to their medical information, there's something called personal health records, which uh, there are many websites right now that offer you the opportunity to create a personal health record and to put information that, that you get from your medical records to have your, to get information put in from your drug records, you know, your pharmacy records and have it all handy so that you can, you know, know manage your own health care better. Well, also if there was Katrina or a, or yes. an earthquake, we actually had an earthquake here, a little one that I felt uh, yesterday. Really? So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's true. When you think about that, if there was a Katrina or a tsunami mm-hmm. or something like that and everything was gone and you didn't have your health records, that that would be an yeah. advantage as long as it was protected and secured and encrypted and all those good things. Exactly. So that's, you know, those are the concerns. Well, this bill deals with this thing called personal health records, and this is is something that some websites currently offer so that you can use that website to maintain a lot of your health records. But the, the websites that, that provide that, that service are not themselves subject to the medical privacy laws because they are, the medical privacy laws that we have, both at the federal and the state level, apply to health care providers and healthcare health plans but not to these websites. Right, because they're not health care providers. They're just data. They're not providers. Yeah. They're not plans. Yeah. Right, right. So there's, there's a bill, AB 1298, that would, among other things, um, require the companies that maintain per- personal health records um, to be subject to the California Medical Info- the Confidentiality of Medical Information Act, the California law for health, health information privacy. So this so would have this would and be one of those other ones that it, that now this one was signed by both both um, it, the it, assembly this and is also enrolled it's 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 been through the legislature. Okay, so we're just waiting houses. for the governor to see what uh-huh. he does. And uh-huh. and again, if something like this becomes law, this is obviously going to make a tremendous amount of uh, a tremendous difference for the entire country because if they have to protect it for California citizens, uh, California residents, then it's really going to be better for everybody. It, it could indeed, as, as the breach law, as the security freeze law, those, those right, those other things, which in. Speaking of the security freeze law, of course, as, as I'm sure you're aware, um, TransUnion. Yeah. yeah. Well, and now also Equifax. So oh, really? as as of now, two of the three credit reporting agencies have have decided that they are going to make going to give consumers in all states, whether or not they're one of the states that have a law requiring it, make it possible for all of them to be able to put a freeze on their credit files and control who has access. And, and and it, they followed actually our law, which we we passed what two thousand three or something mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Where which I remember years ago. I have to tell you, back in nineteen ninety seven, when I testified in the California legislature, I said the only way you're going to get my imposter to stop this is let me do a, some kind of a freeze and stop yep. this. 
And so it took a while. But, um, you know, now then that if two of the credit bureaus are allowing them to put a freeze, if they're a victim, it's free. At least with TransUnion, is it the same thing with Equifax? Yes. If you're a victim, well, it's free, and if I, you're not I don't a victim, know that for sure. okay. Well, I know for TransUnion, mm-hmm. if you're a victim and you want to uh, freeze your credit profile, it is free for a victim. And if you are a consumer who wishes to freeze your file because you're concerned about identity theft, or maybe you've been a victim of a security breach, then you pay ten dollars, like the California. Um, ten dollars for each each of them so that's yes. certainly still true for california because of right. our law right but so. then again we we start this whole thing and then yep. that, and, yeah. you know and i think the security freeze is it, it's it's really one of the best kept secrets in privacy and so i'm always eager to get the word out on that whenever we talk about it anywhere where people are are amazed and that they didn't know about it and it's it's the strongest protection against new account identity theft against right. somebody using your social security number and your name to go out and open up new accounts. That's what it's designed for. Exactly. Now, it doesn't help you if you're a victim of criminal identity theft, right. and it doesn't help you if you're a victim of medical identity or theft employment or employment-related. Right, or, but right. It, but since, you know, the major about, one about 85% of identity theft is based on the FTC's data from 2003, is financial. Exactly. So it, it, it goes to the heart of a yes. real big issue. Yeah. Yeah. We're speaking with Joan McNabb, who is wonderful. We've had her on. We have to have her on every year to tell us about new legislation. And she is the chief of the Office of Privacy Protection. And she, the whole department got uh, moved up to the capital level, and we're excited about that because that means that our governor and the state really values privacy, and so you can go to privacy.ca.gov to find out all the new privacy legislation, the new laws, all sorts of good stuff that, that uh, we'll talk about a little in a little bit, uh, in a few minutes, but let's talk some more about some of the other uh, legislation that is waiting to be signed. Well, there's another one that I wanted to mention I think it's very interesting, and it is not it has not uh, made it all the way through yet, but it's out of its first house in the second house, so it can still be around because we have another year of this legislative session. And this is this is SB three twenty eight. Remember the um, the uh, HP pretexting situation of a couple of years ago, right? Um, where uh, it, members of the board um, hired private detectives to. Go through uh, the telephone records, right. yeah. To, to pretext or pretend, lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretend <laughs> or lie. Yes. yes. To get it, the, per, the telephone calling records of other people by pretending to be them. Right. So they that, they that tried called, to get the records of yeah. of the journalists as well as the board yeah. members to see who was talking to the press yeah. about stuff that was going on with Hewlett yeah. Packard. Right. Right. So after after that, um, California and several other states, and I think even Congress passed a law that was focused on specifically um, outlawing pretexting lying to get <laughs> to get telephone calling records. Well, there's a bill now, SB 328, pending in California, that that would prohibit pretexting to get personal information of any sort on a customer or an employee from a business, which, you know, is, is interesting. So not just telephone records, but calling up. It, it's like it's antisocial engineering in yes. a way. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, which you know, like Kevin Mitnick, who the the famous hacker who talks one of his books that I that I finished reading called the. Art of Deception talks about all of the social and types of social engineering where people use the phone and pretend to be someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's it's a form of, of identity theft too. Yeah, yeah, it can be. It's depending on what kind of information they're trying to get. Right. So those those are the main ones that are sort of up, teed up, and ready for action. Yeah. Now let's talk a bit about. Um, the RFID legislation, because we had Joe Simidian on this year to talk about the five bills he introduced. And, and let's follow up on what happened with that and what's going on. Well, a, a number of, most of them are uh, on the inactive file, so we'll have to see what happens with them next year. One of them um, has made it through both houses, and this is one that would prohibit uh, subcutaneous implantations in people. Like we do with our dog. Put a chip yes. into the yes. underneath your skin, yes. right? And that's SB three sixty two. So that's the only one of of the the group that has moved that has moved through the legislature right now. The others are are inactive. And and you know it's it's kind of scary because actually people are doing that. I mean, you know, I mean people are putting it under their skin. I I would never want to do that. They want to put it under baby skin, and uh, but these babies are going to grow up. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, my dog can't talk. So to have him have a RFID chip in him, at least I might get him back. But what about when, you know, these people, <laughs> I don't know, it, it just is, is scary. So did you say that both of the houses passed, uh, passed yes, the... Yes, that, that one is enrolled. but So it has made it through the legislature, but none of the others are moving at this point. They're all in the inactive file. Now, why is that? Last year they... I, I don't know. I, I really haven't been following those really closely. I... I so I, I really couldn't tell you. Yeah, I mean, we had Senator Smidian on to talk about it earlier this year when he first introduced the legislation, and it's just I think that the RFID industry is um, is very strong in influencing our legislators to to kind of say, hey, don't 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 stop technology. I don't know. Must be something like that. So anything else that? Uh... No, that's those are the main things that are happening legislatively. So uh, you know, it's an an interesting time, as ever in California. Other states are always looking at us to, to see what's going on here. How about the privacy of uh, sex offense victims? What happened with that one? That you one... know, I'm not sure. I, I actually haven't followed that one. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, there's just so many of them that are out there. It's just amazing. With regard to the social security, um, the the limit of social security and trying to keep it confidential. You're also on the Homeland Security Committee. Do you guys talk about that, the fact that um, the Social Security number is still the military ID number and Medicaid and Medicare? Has that come up at all on your Homeland Security Committee? Well, certainly the um, the, the issue of, of how, how people are identified for Homeland Security purposes or, or any purpose comes up all the time because, you know, one of the big issues from a civil liberties perspective that comes up in relationship to Homeland Security is are people being treated fairly and with with watch lists and everything, are how, how do, can we ensure that the wrong people aren't being inconvenienced or worse because they've been misidentified. Right. So that one of the... One of the um, I know conundrums about social security numbers and the problems of 
trying to remove them entirely overnight is that a social, having a social security number actually helps to to better identify and reduce false positives. Right. That if, if you just do name only, obviously there are a lot of Joan McNabs, a lot of Mari Franks in the world. Right. seem like it, but, but there are. Yeah, when I do uh, a web search, it scares me. <laughs> and, and that isn't everybody, even. <laughs> yeah. and, and then, so you add your birth date. Well, that narrows it down, but it really doesn't narrow it down very far enough. Right. You know, and, and so add social security number, and it gets much closer to eliminating the, the, the other Mari Franks. So there are times when we really want to be identified. You know, I want to know that my tax payments are getting credited to my account and that I'm not the terrorist, it's the other Joan McNabb. Right. So we want to be identified. The Social Security number can help us to be identified in many cases. So there's, you know, uh, sometimes when you, you want to have it. Now, the, the problem becomes when, when it's used not down to those really important need to be identified, but it's used all the time as just a, a convenient way to to identify customers, and it becomes so widely used that it's used for crucial, uh, important decisions, is corrupted because it's too widely available and too many people can have it and can pretend to be us. So it's, it's not bad as an identifier. It's not good as an authenticator that really lets decisions be made about you. Right. But I, it just seems to me that the military ID, which 30 years ago was an alternate number, okay, mm-hmm. and now it's, it's on the dog tags. It's on their, their card to get into the commissary. It's, it's everywhere. You know, we know that I know that the army, at least, and I'm not sure about the other branches, but the army is not using it on the retired military ID card that's used to get into the PXs. Oh, good, good. Yeah, and if you've got an old card, it might still be on it, but you you can turn it in and get one that uses a different number. But still, but the people who are active, like our son who's in the air, our grandson mm-hmm. who's in the air force, it's uh, it's still on his. It's still on it. Yeah, it's still yeah, on his ID would, tag and his and his dog and tag. That wouldn't be bad if it weren't used as an authenticator, giving somebody access to medical records, financial records. Yeah, you know, that's that's the problem. It's not a good authenticator. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what about, so what are you doing on the Homeland Security? Do you uh, issue, now you've been on what, two years, three years now? Uh, about two and a half years. Yeah. Do you issue a report from the Privacy Committee? We, we, we've done a number of reports that, that we make to the Privacy Office of, of Homeland Security and to the Secretary of Homeland Security. In fact, we the, the committee did one on RFID in which we the committee recommended that uh, RFID not be used for I, pers- for Passports. personal identif- identification yeah. to identify individuals, right? Or, or if it is that certain uh, protective measures be installed along with it. We also did uh, one on government use and DH Homeland Security use in particular of commercial data, which raised made points about the the accuracy of personal information that's collected to make marketplace decisions right. um, can be a much lower standard of accuracy. Okay, if I market to you, think I've got enough information on you that makes me think you're going to be interested in buying a snowmobile, and I was wrong, you know, big deal. You get snowmobile ads. 
but if that same quality of information is used to make decisions about am I going to, uh, you know, stop you for secondary screening at the airport or, or worse, you know, that's not good. <laughs> the, the consequences are much worse. So there has to be higher standards of accuracy if you're using commercial information for homeland security, law enforcement type purposes. So we made recommendations about that, about the data quality standards when using right. commercial data, in fact, and recommended against using commercial data in most situations. You know, we had um, uh, someone from a nonprofit that came to talk to us on their radio show about the no-buy list, which was the Department of Te Treasury had issued when people have certain names that are similar to other names, almost like the watch list, mm -hmm. that, um, you know, retail companies and banks could not deal with them if they were on the no-buy list. And there's a lot of false positives on the no-buy list, so people aren't able to get mortgages because their name is similar to a name that's someone who might be a terrorist. I don't know if you've dealt with no. that issue. No, because, you know, we, that office is, the, our, our committee is focused on Homeland Security, but uh, I would... That goes it, to the it, issue of terrorism, though, because well, you weren't supposed goes, to it, get terrorist money, it, you know what I mean? Yes, and it goes to another issue that, that is, a, is a real privacy concern and related to that sort of um, listing screening process, and that is the, a right of redress. So does, does the department that has that list, do they have a procedure that's, that's available and, and, and you know, user-friendly to let people say, wait a minute, <laughs> what's going on here? I challenge this. How can I, you know, what, right. what can I do to, to clear this up? Right, right, like the TSA, like mm -hmm. how do I get off this list or how do mm -hmm. I find out why I'm on this list or what mm -hmm. can I do to, to remedy it so I don't yes. get stopped at the airport every time, right? Yes, exactly. And and that's one of the principles that, that the advisory committee has been pushing uh, Homeland Security on. And, in fact, they, they, are, they have indeed been very responsive on, in that regard, and they've developed and keep improving a, a central, unified um, redress mechanism for all the various components. Right. So, Joan, are these reports that you make, are they made public? Yeah, they're online. Okay, if, so if what is to, it? Yeah. You go to dhs.gov DHS. slash privacy. Okay. And then there you'll see one of the items right on that page. It says data protection, da, 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 data privacy advisory committee. Click on that, and then you'll see all the papers that, that, that we have prevented and the meetings are public there's there's there was a meeting in san francisco um last year and i i don't think the next there's next california meeting but they're always public and they're noticed yeah so tell us we don't have a lot more time this, this today has just you have lloyd says we have four minutes so tell us some of the goals that you have i know on your website you have a, a wonderful uh, synopsis of all the great work that you did in 2006 and in 2007 thus far so tell us what are what are some of the goals that you have now? You have some exciting new goals with your your new office, but wh where do you want to go next year with with what's well, uh, going on? A, a big one of our focuses in in this year that we're in the middle of uh, is on creating this new structure of operating and, and developing, contributing to the development of of a, a, a holistic approach to managing information appropriately in state government to protect individual privacy. So that's one piece. On the 
other side, our regular consumer-facing work, um, one of the issues that we're focusing on this year and will be for the next probably 12 months is is medical information privacy and medical identity theft. Right. And we, we want to develop some good materials for consumers to use, and we want to work with with um, the healthcare industry on looking at what sort of procedures can be developed to make it easier for people to detect and correct any problems in that regard, setting up ideally some sort of system that's more similar to the rights that people have related to their their um, credit uh, reports. Credit, yeah. Credit reports. Yeah. So w- one of the things that I think is that we'll probably find as important is, if, as, as I'm sure you know, and, and I know because I order my credit reports all the time just to see how the different procedures work and look right. at the reports and everything. They have become, over the last few years, much easier for somebody to understand. Right. Originally, they were designed, you know, the format that you'd get as a consumer that, that, that they come in. It was obviously something that, that was designed for I don't know who to read, but not a consumer. <laughs> right. It was hard to figure out. It used a lot of codes and funny terminology, and it was really complicated. And they all three of the big credit bureaus have gotten much clearer, much more consumer-friendly in how they present the material. And I think that would be a good thing for um, the statement of benefits and those kind of notices that, that we get from many of our health health uh, plans. It would also be helpful. It would also be helpful for us to easily get our records and be able to read them. I fainted this yeah. year at a restaurant and ended up in the hospital. I was fine. I just, you know, got some food poisoning. And when I got the um, the report afterward, it had said, uh, remember, Lloyd, it was, it was so bizarre. What? Yeah, it was merged with someone else's. <laughs> And I got somebody else's report when I asked for my own records, and then it said that I had some kind of heart problem, which I didn't. So this is, you know, just to correct that record, they, you know, they said, well, you'll have to come in and pay for another EKG or another, I don't know, X-ray or something. Yeah. Yeah. And and so it's it's so hard. You feel so um, impotent when it comes to all these records. You don't understand them, and you don't even have access to them. Yep. So, so that's what you're going to be dealing with, huh? <laughs> that that that's a piece of it for sure. And and you know, obviously, everybody's primary concern in the, the healthcare arena is I want to be cared for. I want to be cared for right away. Yes. Uh, you know, we don't want any sorts of procedures that get in the way of getting the best care. But having um, the records more readily available and more accurate, and having procedures that let the consumer, the patient, help uh, with the accuracy can actually improve healthcare too. Well, Lloyd says this is the end. We don't have any more time, but you are wonderful. We will have you back soon. We're going to be watching that privacy.ca.gov to see all the great things you're doing, and we're going to look at those reports and see how you're helping our homeland security too. Well, thanks very much, Mari, and thanks for giving uh, giving me this opportunity to let people know about what's going on. We think you're terrific. Okay, we'll talk to you soon, Joan. Thank you. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari. I am your host of Privacy Piracy, and this is Lloyd, our engineer. And join us every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. right here on KUCI Privacy Piracy. Thank you. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.